Hello, Dweezil. Welcome to the uh, Laughing Monkey Music Show, man. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. I want to go over some um, couple questions I've had for you. There's a lot, you, a lot of you on the internet. A lot of um, you've answered a lot of the same questions. So I hope I don't retread anything too much. But you, I want to end towards the end. Your uh, the rewards program. I've talked about to other artists. I've probably annihilated it a million times. And now I'm like, just go look at the website. So maybe because <laughs> like everybody, it's like the best thing. So. Maybe you could kind of clarify and do a much better version so I could at least refer to this. I'll and do then, what I can. I'll do then we'll end up, then we'll kind of go back to the, the new uh, Vernon with a Dweezil podcast. And sure. It's just pretty awesome. And maybe some little memories you may have. But initially, I want to jump in. Um, I usually like to do like a history of stuff of bands, but it, there's so much of you out there. So, so what I thought was I would, um, well, let me start. So initially, this, this show is about, anyone anyway, who's been watching it, um, artists, and how the real life and finances are. And just being an artist nowadays, it's not, not all about being rock stars. And what happened was a couple of years ago, going to many of your shows, I was in line and um, guys in front of me were you know, drinking or whatever. And they're like, they start complaining about the price t-shirt, price, you know, t-shirt prices, which is at every concert you hear. Right. Which I, I think because people have a misnomer about what, what, what goes on really, the prices and the cost. You know, and they go and they leave and I'm like, idiots. So I go buy two things because of that. <laughs> you got to bring out that uh, the, the 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 sweatshirt you had a thin mothers of uh, other intention sweatshirt. Oh, yeah, yeah. That is the perfect thickness. I wear that like all the time. I'm probably gonna need a new one. So make sure you get that back out I, there. Again. I like that one too. That was a good one. But I know what you're talking about. So when you're at a concert, a lot of times, you know, if you're a fan, you you look at what people have for sale, and everybody's thinking about, okay, well, what makes sense? What what can I afford? Does this feel like this is the right quality for what's being charged? And what people don't really know is that if something, let's say there's a t-shirt that's $50 and somebody says, oh, that's so overpriced. So the reason something gets uh, priced so highly uh, for the most part is it it depends on if you have a, a shirt, let's say you have a five color shirt. It's got a lot of art with different colors. Those are expensive to manufacture. So you're going to be looking at just the base price of, of doing a, a shirt with, with an expensive art thing is going to be anywhere from, let's say, 9 to $15 per shirt, depending on what you're, you're doing. Yeah. So that's your cost for making the shirt. But then when you go to the venue, the venue is going to take either 20 or 30% of your sale. You also have to pay the person who's selling the merch. Right. You have to pay for stuff to be shipped out when you run out of things. So there's all these costs involved. And so a $50 shirt most likely will a band at the end of the day will make between eight and $12 on a $50 shirt. So the price that an audience or a fan might be thinking that the, the artist is getting from that, is not what they're getting. It's priced because it's so expensive to do a high quality thing. And then you are, somebody's reaching into the artist's pocket because venues take a cut and all these other expenses that, that go with it. So it's a, it's not well known for uh, the, the no, public to understand how that kind of stuff works and the, the expenses that are involved. And, and artists like me, I hate having to like do something that I feel like would overcharge somebody. And so I will have to try to make stuff that as, is as affordable as I can make it. Uh, but then I will have to also make the designs maybe less interesting because they cost too much, you know? So 
it really just depends on on what you can do and the kind of volume that you expect to sell because at the other end of it if you're going to be printing these things and you spend all this money to buy them in advance and then you don't sell them now you're sitting on a whole bunch of stuff that you can't yeah, sell wonderful. because it's not current and uh, it might have old dates on it or something like that so it's a really precarious place for bands to be in when it comes to selling merch on tour because it's it's tough to know what might sell and how much to order and that's the other thing people complain oh you never have my size it's like well we don't know who's going to be at the show and who's getting well, yeah it's really hard i imagine that and i didn't even realize that, that deep i used to i know you, you have to make the shirts and even if you had a huge a bigger profit of that and then i know you know they're always taking a profit out of it wherever you're at you know cut into that and they're selling it but i know a lot of the profit has to go towards like touring like to have a bus to right. have fuel insurance and then of course i know you actually you actually said this you know what's going to be after touring with covid is it going to be covid cleaning there's like so many ridiculous costs that merchandise is actually help support a band to go because you're not making money off of albums you know the, the profit margin is so crazy now you know yeah. and, and and you you tour with a, a you know full band i mean you have artists that can play two or three instruments singing different voices i mean right. that's not a you know a little venue thing with like three guys that are from high school it's, it's a it's an event you need to sleep. You need to be comfortable. You can't be in the back of a Winnebago. You know what I mean? You need to have regular meals and to perform. It's tough. People don't realize uh, the, the struggles that you have just to do the, the core foundation of a tour to make it uh, financially stable. Uh, on average, a tour bus will cost $1,000 a day. That's not even for a great bus, you know? And so, so if you're out on the road, for two months, you know, right there, just the cost of the bus alone, you know, so if you're, if you're not able to make enough money at the shows, mm -hmm. you might as well just stay home. You yeah. know what I mean? You, you can't like, why would you spend all this money to, to pay for a bus? You got to pay for the band. You got to pay for your crew. You got to pay for the merch to be made and you have to sell enough tickets and do enough stuff that draws enough people to make it worth it to be away from home for months at a time and do all that stuff. So when people think that you're making, you know, money hand over fist, maybe some artists who have a huge following are making a really good living doing it. But a lot of, a lot of people are in a real working class situation trying to make this work. And, and now that the actual touring has been taken away from artists, yeah, it's, it's really tough. And, and, and I feel for everybody involved because especially the crew people that they love music. They want to be around music. They don't make music, but they help people make music because they set up the equipment or they do the recording or they do all these things. Those people, they don't have anything that they can do. They're not, they're not trained to do, yeah. you know, other stuff and they don't want to have to be doing other stuff. They want to do the job that they like, you know, doing. So even during really better times. Yeah, like, like even I went to college for production. Even during better times, see, just to get into that stuff is a, is a tooth and nail situation to do that to begin with. So, right. I, I, you know, it, it, I think it's crazy. And like I, I see like some of the guitarists and some bands are like doing guitar lessons and Skype, and they're yeah, they're, they're finding like do ways to supplementing until we get through it. But you know, I'm telling people buy that merch, support the bands. You know, they come back out. Everybody's back out there. It's 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 important. I mean, it's. No one's not living like Led Zeppelin right now, you know. It's it's everyone's working class and they got kids and mortgages and and none of the bands are complaining. I want to say that right now, you know. It's you know they're just 
it is what it is. And I just see it as a fan and a lover of music being like, well, if, I think everybody should kind of see this a little more and be aware of it. So, you know, it's not, it's not a personal day. They're not, you know, buying caviar. It's they're paying bills and bringing the show to you. It's, you I know, mean, a lot of people are, are that's their way of, to keep the lights on and, and, and it's their job, yeah. you know, they get to enjoy doing their job by presenting music and playing music for people, but it may not be the kind of lucrative thing that people imagine that all artists have because people are duped into thinking that when you see something like MTV Cribs, Cribs you know, exactly. that ruined it for everybody. <laughs> yeah. You know, people leave their houses for that and all these things, you know, to, to present something that's not real. So uh, at the end of the day, when, when you're a fan of music and you really like something, right. if you are able to support the artist directly, it's going to go so much. Uh, it's, it, it's the best way to, to help that artist then continue to make the music do their best work and then do something that's special for, for the fans. And what, right. what artists need to recognize is that in the world of social media, you're under the impression that if you have all these followers, let's say you have a million followers, out of those million followers, how many are real? How many of them actually buy tickets? How many of them actually will show up and, and support you directly? And so the percentage of that is going to be much, much lower. But the, the thing that somebody really needs to focus on, if you're, if you're an independent artist in particular, is instead of trying to think of how am I going to maybe get a million people to spend a dollar on a song. Mm -hmm. Maybe you could get 10,000 people to spend a hundred dollars across all the things that you do, all your content. And monetarily, it may end up being the same number, but it's exponentially a better experience for the fans when you have this ability to curate something, be in touch with them, have this uh, interconnected reciprocal relationship, which is what you can have when you have a direct relationship with people that are on your email list and you can reach them directly. So, you know, if you look at it like uh, a company like Apple or, or even Amazon, let's say, mm -hmm. when you go to those sites, you're not expected to leave those sites. You're, you're expected to find exactly what you want right there, do all your shopping. You don't go down a rabbit hole somewhere else. No. You get the things that you want and then if they want you to come back, guess what? They don't use social media. They have your email. They contact you directly. So Apple's never yep. going to use Twitter to say, hey, come over and check out our stuff. You know, they, they have all their customers that go to them directly. And artists need to recognize that that's the way that you have a sustainable fan base and income is, is if you have a permission base of, of people that will, that will come to you directly and it's not always about like trying, yes, you can, you can spread the word on social media and say, Hey, I'm doing all these things, but come support me in one location at my website. And that's the, the thing right now that really is, you're seeing it happen uh, a bit more than ever, because especially with like what you were saying, where people are using their skills to teach music and do other stuff to supplement their income when they can't be touring and but what they'll do is they'll promote it and they'll say, hey, I'm going to be doing these lessons or I can do, you know, this special event. But they'll tell you to go to one place. They'll promote it in a lot of places, but they'll tell you to go to one place. Mm -hmm. And if the Internet was created today, 
that's what you would want. You would want an artist to be able to say, hey, I've got all my stuff in one place. Come check it out here. And, you know, you have that direct relationship with them. It makes perfect sense. And that's why we did reward music because it, it integrates everything. It gives the artist the, the chance to present anything that they want content wise all in one place, but it also connects the artist and the fan directly in a reciprocal relationship where the more they do to support that artist, they get reward points. And so if something was going to be $25, if they spent, you know, a week on the website, hanging out with their friends, bringing people to the site, buying stuff, commenting. Now, suddenly, the price starts going down. So what you do naturally as a fan, it, anybody who likes something, the first thing they do is tell somebody. They just right. say, hey, this is so great. I had the best food at this restaurant. Or this song is so cool. Have you heard it? Check it out. So just by doing that naturally, if you do it in one place in that artist's community, it benefits you, it benefits the artist. And that's the goal is, is just to, you know, wake people up enough to say, artists should have a direct relationship with their fans. They shouldn't have to buy their fans back or do stuff like, you know, on Facebook, if you do a, an ad yeah. and, you, and they say, oh, well, you could reach more people if you boost the ad. It's like, okay, well, if I already had 100,000 people that I was reaching, you mean to tell me I wasn't reaching them? I was only reaching like, 3,000 out of 100,000, and I got to keep buying my way up to the 100,000 that I brought there to begin with. And that's what, what's happening is that people are, they're, they're spending money on something and getting nothing in return. They don't get the emails. They don't have that direct access, yet they're giving away their content for free everywhere. They're giving it away on Facebook and YouTube and Instagram, but they don't have to. They're just trained uh, to do that. And I think that's, that's a good point, but you've also led by example. Now, you just claim I actually belonged to your to your your site, and um, the only album I've actually put any money to uh, was your last album, Yuzumata. Oh, uh, the fun that was the first time I ever did that, and then join your 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 page. And then over the years, you've you've you know focused it into the rewards program. I think it is yeah. your friend. You kind of did it, so I experienced the points, and I hate going all over the website looking for stuff. Yeah. So I love the fact. Go on your page, you know, once or twice. I have it up there on my link, so I'll check it out. Because, for example, so anybody who hasn't been on the page, Dweezil has like new music on there, all of his albums you can stream, different things. It says interactive videos. There's like a ton of things for such a small price. You get everything on there. Plus, there are fans that you can contact and you post pictures, and it's it's all there. It's more than you'd even think getting it like on YouTube where you get like some bootleg thing. Except for that eruption thing you did back in uh, with uh, David Lee Sloth. (laughs) Who was that guy? Um, He's actually on our our crew. He's he's he does the monitor mixes for us. He's a he's a good singer. Well, that's what I'm saying. His voice is really good. Yeah. The the thing is, you know, we're huge fans of of Van Halen and everything. uh, But funny. But we, you know, we wanted to play the songs well, but then there was a bit of a, a sense of humor to his presentation because he wore this this outfit that somebody had yeah. given to him on the road, some like unitard thing. So, but the Zappa name is across the board. I mean, your your father branded it, but you know, you guys, it's a sense of humor. You can't like, you know, take the piss out of something if you can't like Zappa, and if you're not going to know something, it's going to make you smile at some point in the song. But we still know. take the music seriously. So, it wasn't oh no, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. The singer, I mean, you know, the music and the shows you guys are flawless. Everything you do is just, I mean, clearly it's a rehearsal. It's like ridiculously long. But um, 
Yeah, on your site, it's it's incredible. Like, I, I can't believe the amount of music that's on that you download, and it's it's and for for a fan, I I can't see why you, why they wouldn't want to do it. You know, it's it's well, fantastic. I, I didn't expect that much from it. To be honest with you. Well, that's been the goal here is to say uh, I want to be able to have a space that I can put new things on as soon as they're ready and find things that I never had a chance to put out because I didn't have a way to put them out. And so there's, there's uh, a lot of new content that gets to be put up frequently. Oh yeah. And then the next level of stuff that I'm going to be able to start doing is live broadcasts and, and things that will be, um, things that will be really interactive. Like we could be doing the kind of thing that we're doing right now and have a listening yeah. party and listen to a piece of music or listen to a podcast and we can have other people in it and we can have a chat and we can be doing all this stuff and we can be talking about all the things that are fun and exciting and it, it can be totally an interactive thing. And that has never really been possible uh, for an artist before, especially to have it integrated in one place where people only have to come to one thing. You don't have to promote it as, oh, I'm doing this on Twitch or I'm doing this over here, I'm doing that. And, trying to get all these people to find it, you know, you find the people that want to come to the place frequently and then hopefully they tell their friends and it, it builds organically in that same way that we were just talking about where, like, yeah, yeah. you know, if you've been to a restaurant and you had the best you know, dinner you've ever had, you want to go back to that. And this is the kind of thing where, you know, you want to create that experience so that you have a community of people that are sharing in this thing. and and you know, that's really important, especially now, because if you're a musician and you want to be able to reach people and you want to do the thing that you do, you have to have a way to at least have a, a certain core uh, amount of people that will come back and be uh, that impetus to, to be able to, uh, to just make, make it work, you know, because uh, it, it really is hard. This is not something that, that anybody can... Uh, you know, expect to, to do and have it be a, like an overnight sensation. I mean, maybe if you're like a Korean boy band, maybe you could do it, you know, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's very challenging because at the end of the day, I care about music. I care about the people that support the stuff that I do. And I want to be able to make a good experience, a curated experience, something that is a reason for them to want to come there, not just because, hey, buy stuff, you know? It's like- It's just incredible. I mean, I, clearly, I can't imagine how much practicing you have to do to get up to the speed of some of the shows you put on. On top of that, you're on, you're on your site all the time. You answer your emails personally. Not only does that, even from the beginning, if I had a, I had a question about when I was getting your CD at the beginning, at any point, your wife's involved, super sweet, right? Re yeah. Responding back. It, it's, like a, so it's like a family effort, which is totally the best anyhow. Yeah. It's, it is organic is the best thing. So it's, it's a personal uh, thing. You really feel like you're connected and it, you know, it's, it's true. It, it, it's, it's really, it's the best thing. That is, that's all we can do, you know, because we, we don't have a, a, a huge organization of people. It's just me and my wife that, that work on this stuff. We have some other people that help us with certain things, but we are so hands-on with it all because it matters to us. And that's, I don't belong to any other site though. I wouldn't pay for anything else like, because I don't need a headless corporation. I can find stuff, whatever. You know what I mean? It's because of what yeah. you do. It's that this is the model that I think more people want. I think it's going to well, be exposed to it. Well, I, I, I feel like 
the, when people start to discover uh, what is possible with the integrated tools for reward music, they will, they'll start to see the things that we're talking about, the, the sense of community, the ability to, to be able to broadcast something anytime that you want, but you have the ability to, to turn it into something that is, if you make it exclusive and you're making it available in one place, it gives it enough value that you can actually make it a destination. You can make it a subscribable piece of content or a pay-per-view piece of content. And when you have artists that are really good at storytelling and making music and making things that are interesting and, and creative and you wanna learn about the process, you, you have this ability to, as an artist, do all of those things, but then you also have the ability to link it, to make it something for, for people to purchase. And you, it's a direct transaction. So um, reward music doesn't take anything from any artist. It's 100% of the sale goes to the artist. So if you're an artist that starts on reward music, mm -hmm. anything you sell, you get 100% of it. Now, of course, if you have relationships or a business relationship, partnership that's, that's or, or whatever, right. that's, that's something that you, know, you take care of on your own side. But the, the goal was to make something that can work for somebody that's starting their band in their mom's basement all the way through to a label artist, having that direct connection with the fans and, and not having all the middlemen taking something out of it. You know, it's the closest thing to if you saw somebody playing music on a street corner and you said, hey, that person's amazing. I can't believe how good they are. And they've got their hat there or their guitar case open and you give them a dollar or you give them whatever you give them. This is the closest thing to that. Busking. You don't yeah. have to busk. You don't have to busk. I mean, <laughs> you know, that's what happens is like you, you as an artist say, here's what I do. You know, I'm going to do the best I can. And you hope that people will see something in it. And if they feel moved by it, they're going to go ahead and make a contribution and they're going to stick around and see how it develops. You, you have a, you broke down to a good example. I don't know the numbers will maybe share like the profit margin, like compared to like a Spotify who you, I think you, you owe money to Spotify if you're an artist <laughs> compared to like how many plays to like how much, cause you, you had a good breakdown. I forgot what the number was maybe. Yeah. Well, so, so it, you know, what people don't recognize about Spotify, I'll give you that, that number in a second, but so here's something that maybe people aren't aware of. If you're somebody that's a music lover, you look at Spotify and you think, oh, that's great. I could have access to all these songs. I could have millions of songs mm -hmm. and I just pay for this membership for this music. I don't even have to have it live on my computer. I just rent it. I listen to it when I want. Sounds great but the artist actually doesn't get anything from it. And, and I mean, they get very little from it is, is the reality. So it, when, it, when you look at how that business model works, uh, Spotify doesn't pay for the music that they are giving you in your membership. So let's look at it in terms of something like a, a car rental company. If you're a car rental company, you can buy a car and then you can rent that car, but you still have to buy the car before you rent it. Okay, yeah. Spotify doesn't buy the music before they rent it. So they get this huge profit on this stuff. And the, the people that made the music are not getting anything from it. You know, they're getting nano pennies on the dollar. So now we all know that it's not possible to live on federal minimum wage, which is $15,080 a year. 
right? Mm -hmm. To make $15,000 on Spotify, you need 3.8 million streams. Now, that like Mariah Carey's Christmas song. I mean, that's crazy. <laughs> well, in, in 10 years, I could not get 3.8 million streams. Really? Maybe not even 20 years. Wow. So uh, I, I, can, I would, anything I get from Spotify is in, it's, it's not even in dollars. It's in pennies. <laughs> you know? Insane. So, that is insane. So it's, it really is crazy. Like, so we know you can't live on minimum wage. Right. But that's the majority of artists that are dealing with Spotify are not even getting minimum wage. But yet the consumer thinks, oh, this is so great. I love this. But you realize if you're a, a music fan, mm -hmm. and let's say you only like 10 bands, which is pretty much the average for most people, that, that they want to be like involved in, in things that they want to be updated on. You know, it may be maybe even less than 10 artists. But let's say you have five or 10 artists. Mm -hmm. And if they had their own place, like a reward music site, and you were just gonna spend $2.50 a month for whatever their subscription plan is, right. it's pennies on the dollar. I mean, it's, you could be spending 30 to $60 a year to support your favorite bands, right? Multiple bands, which is around the same kind of money that you get, you're gonna spend on Spotify, yet this would support them directly in a, in a much better way. The content's so, way better too. Yeah, so so that's the that's the goal here with reward music is is to give artists an opportunity to have a place to draw people uh, that's easy for them to find, easy for them to to get involved with, but that they can have a reciprocal relationship with the fans, and they get reward points and benefits for for participating, and just build it gradually, you know, and organically from there. And there's never been a way to do it where all these things are integrated in one place because we're, we've put so many tools into one thing and that's, that's what makes it very difficult to explain because uh, the music industry is a multi-layered thing of how it all works. And my experience and the experience of others who help build this thing are all put into this to show, to make sure that we're helping on every level. For example, if you, buy a, a t-shirt uh, if, if an artist sold you know t-shirts in all 50 states the taxes are different in all 50 states oh, yeah. so the uh, reward music program can do all the taxes for you and export it to quickbooks it's all really? automatic so we have things we're we have all these layers of things that are built into this stuff that are so integrated that help artists continually take out that middleman like now you don't have to pay an accountant to do that part you know it's all of these things that that help on so many levels but writing it's, it's complicated but it's it's a very uh, powerful tool I mean, so look for the artists to come in though it feels like to be a lot to get well so you or me oh, i don't know I'm still here. Okay, okay all right so for an artist to come in it seems like there's a lot to do you think i'm just so it's unbelievable you're an artist coming with all those offers right what is an artist paying? Like, is there a, is a staggered, like how much services they use, the bandwidth? Yeah. So there's always something a catch in life, you know? Yeah. Well, there, this is the thing. There is no catch here. The uh, reward music doesn't take anything from any sale from the mm -hmm. artist, but an artist who is going to set up their own website on reward music, they're going to pay starting off $20 a month 
And that $20 a month is going to be for the bandwidth that's used to put up your music mm -hmm. and your videos and then whatever your audience starts to interact with. Now that's assuming you're starting with a smaller number of people. So when you come in, if you've never done anything like this, you're gonna have 200 to 500 to 1,000 people. And as you get more people that are using the, the bandwidth and watching and interacting, your, um, your bill is gonna change, but it's all gonna change based on the amount of people in your community and the stuff that's happening. And you'll never be in a situation where you're paying more than what uh, you could be earning from the people that are participating in your community. And, but it all, you have all of these integrated things that start at just $20. Now, if you were gonna try to build something out of all these different modules to try to interface them and make this all work, you would be spending a minimum of $20 for just one part of a service, uh, like an email portion, you know? So and when you started to put all these modules together, you'd be in the hundreds of dollars a month just to put it together, to have your website, to have your broadcasting uh, abilities. And uh, and because uh, we do merch fulfillment, like we can print and manufacture and fulfill merch and all of these things, all of this stuff, it's all for $20 a month starting off. So it's insane to have the bandwidth, just just have it all organized for 20 bucks starting off. I mean, you just work in cable and just the insanity of these prices you'd be paying elsewhere just, just to have somebody touch that is, you couldn't do that for 20. No, and I mean, it, it's an insane deal for, for what it is. And, and the, the goal is like we said, to make it for somebody, if you just started your band yesterday and you're rehearsing in your mom's mm -hmm. basement, you could start on reward music and start to have your build your fan base and get the emails and have that from day one because at the end of the day the most powerful thing in the world right now the biggest commodity is information data emails direct connection to people so why would you just be giving that away to facebook and instagram and all of that stuff you need to have as an artist, you need to have that direct connection with your fans and know who they are and reach them directly and have that permission base. This is about making humane technology that, that works so that people connect. And it's, like I said, it's permission based. It's, it, so when you're the artist and you have your reward music page, you are not uh, having your, your data taken and used against you you know, Facebook and Instagram, they can take all of your fans and sell them to somebody else, you know, and they do it all day long, you know? I, I love the idea. I just, I don't even go, I follow you really on anything else. I just go right to your website now. I would do that with any artist. I, I really hate using social media to a certain point. I only use it because, it, you know, which, which one is the less evil of all? You know, you go from Facebook to, to Instagram is the least evil for now, but they keep changing. I love the fact it's going to a website for, I'd go for more. I mean, as on there, I think, you have a cousin on there now? Uh, I do, yeah. Jason, Stanley, uh, he, his, he, I don't know which one he actually prefers. I think he's preferring Stanley right now, but he's- That's uh, what I said, yeah. He's my dad's uh, brother's son, and uh, he's making some avant-garde music, and he's started uh, his own page on Reward. We're starting to get a lot more people signing up now, and you'll start seeing some- interesting people on there uh, my friend um 
Shane Terrio. He's a great guitarist and he, mm -hmm. he plays with Hall and & Oates and he's on the show uh, live from Daryl's Place. I don't know if you've seen that show, but it's a good oh, show. Oh yeah, I've seen it a bunch of times. Yeah, Love it's it. a really good show. So he's, he's on there as the uh, musical director. Oh, but his okay. his site is going to uh, be live soon on Reward, and he's got a lot of great guitar classes and music and and all these things that uh, that he's doing. Affordable, now yeah. I'm going to do that. And then there's yeah, a, a really great uh, female artist that um, she was on American Idol, and she was also on this other show that was uh, uh, 90 Day Fiance. Uh, <laughs> and, but she. She's the kind of artist that could sit with an acoustic guitar and just sing a song. She could be filmed on an iPhone and it's, she has a way to like, just get in the zone and she can make a song work. Just her and an acoustic guitar. Her name's Evelyn Cormier. Um, and uh, uh, she, she is, she's really good. She's got her site. I think it's, I think it's up and running now, but, uh, but the thing is, she's the kind of artist that's exactly like what we're talking about where she's in her early twenties. She can sit with an acoustic guitar, doesn't have to have a band and she can sing you her songs that she's written or covers. And these are songs that when you hear them, you feel like you've heard them before because they're well crafted and they, they just take you on a journey. And she's the kind of person that can make daily content or have live concerts and stuff like that this kind of tool can help her from the ground up like nothing else you know and she can great. get get those fans that will come in uh you know and and have that direct thing so we we built this to try to help people is and and that's the goal is is to and part of it is you want to um you want to be able to educate the audience enough to understand that not every artist you might think they're all super successful, but many of them aren't what you think. And even the ones that are super successful uh, are still getting ripped off. Most likely you've, you've heard about these stories forever. Every episode we talk about the record label, the, this, the, that yeah. it's just hard. I mean, one of the most egregious ones is um, uh, the Creedence Clearwater revival. Do you know that whole story? No, I don't know that whole No. So like John Fogarty, the main songwriter in that, right? so when they were first starting, they signed a bad deal and they gave away their publishing to the manager. And so the manager was collecting on everything that they did. Right. And at a certain point, when they were trying to rectify this bad deal, John Fogarty got sued by the manager who owned his music, the music that he wrote sued him for sounding too much like himself. So he was saying, listen, I own all these songs and the new songs you're writing sound too much like the Credence songs. So, you know, I'm going to have to do a cease and desist. I oh. mean, imagine how, how preposterous and how revolting that would be uh, as an artist to be ripped off in that way and then be persecuted in that way. And that's the kind of stuff that happens in in this business it does uh so you know that's why you need to be able to have this direct relationship because so many people come in and snake these situations and do stuff that is so reprehensible but yet if it's got a legal contract you know it's it's a way to just really mess with people it's hard i mean i, I think every artist has gone through it i know you've even gone through your own little 
yeah your, your thing you know whatever whatever it is but i mean the point is every artist has had to go through you you just can't even just create you have to be a business person you got to manipulate this like i couldn't even, any any of the things you know who needs that it's hard enough to just write a good song and yeah, rehearse. I mean, that's that's the real struggle is that people expect that you're supposed to make all this great music, yet you're saddled with all these other tasks of being in charge of, you know, doing all your you know videos and social media and all that stuff. It's better that the artist is involved and do it, but still, that stuff takes time and effort, and you're not left with the energy to make music. You know, I mean, it's it's yeah. difficult. And so, that's the, all you hear about now. So artists are being sued, it's supposed to do that. You get an article in Rolling Stone where you're like, I don't care. I want to hear the new album. I want to do this album. I don't want to hear what, you know, stupid stuff that's bothering them. Let them focus. They got work to do. <laughs> but that's, that's one of the goals of reward music is to make stuff so integrated that it, it ends up being able to operate on its own without a huge bunch of people. Uh, and that you have a way to, start scheduling your content that you can present to people and, and make it something that people want to tune in for. And that's the real goal is, is just to, to get back to being creative, finding mm-hmm. a way for it to reach people. And then when it does reach them, you have that interconnection. You have that ability to, to you know, if somebody writes to you and says, hey, I really love this song, and they just bought that song, you'll know because you'll get an email that said this song was just purchased and you could write to that person right away and say, thank you so much for your support. And you have this ability to make it on such a personal level that it changes the game. Uh, And it makes a difference because I feel like if I had this experience as a fan, being such a fan of music as I was growing up, if I got a personalized response from somebody just because I, you know, purchased something that I wanted to do because I loved it and it was, and then you get a personal response and, and it's this kind of, it, it, it makes it so much a, a better connection that, that makes you want to keep doing things, you know? And that's, I mean, I, I just feel it from my own personal uh, experience. You do that. it a lot. I mean, and I think you're, you, you do so much. I don't know how you find time or sleep at this point. I mean, it's tough. With, but, you with know, COVID right now, I think I would have even gotten this stuff done. Um, I know now you're doing the podcast. Before we wrap up on the podcast, I do want to ask you a couple music questions, though. Sure. That I don't think I've heard before. So, production. Over the years, you've gotten more and more into production. Yeah. Like recording stuff. So, when you first start out, I think you have like, so you obviously, Eddie Van Halen, you can touch on that after. Did you like produce your first little uh, mini little song? Yeah. But then you'd have a bad, uh, bad day. And then uh, guitar was for your mama. At that point, and then confessions was a production. Who was producing it to the point like where you kind of go in? They were producing it, kind of telling you what to do. Each album, were you kind of getting more and more involved? Because I know you grew up in a house with the dad that produ- produced everything. Yeah. So what happened was um, the very first thing I did was my mother's a space cadet, and the flip side of that was Crunchy Water. And I was 12 years old, and I'd only been playing guitar for nine months, or maybe even less than nine months. That's ridiculous. And, and it was uh, Edward Van Halen came in and produced that that group of songs, uh, and it was just me and my 12 year old friends, right? So we had no. It wasn't like we could call up Edward Van Halen and say, "Hey, would you produce us?" Somehow or another, he called our house, and then my dad and him got to talking, and they became friendly. and And over a, a few weeks of them having conversations, somehow or another, 
my dad ended up making an arrangement with Edward to produce this song that I, that I had made, you know, that I had two songs written. Mm -hmm. So he came in and he, he did those and he didn't get credited for the production uh, because uh, Warner Brothers wouldn't allow his name to be on it. And, like and this else. is funny, the, I just found out um, just a couple days ago what the name, so on the record, it was credited as Devards being the producer. And so I thought, well, maybe that's like something that's Dutch or a, a Dutch right. reference. But I just found out from uh, somebody who knows Don Landy and Don Landy was the engineer who did all the early yeah. Van Halen records. Yeah. And he also worked on My Mother's a Space Cadet. It's fantastic. But he, um, the person that I talked to, Greg Renoff knows Don, talked to him a little bit. And Don said, oh yeah, DeVards, that name came from, that's how Edward's mom used to pronounce Ed's name, Edvard. <laughs> so it's that Devard part of Edvard from Edward's mother. So that's like, and I, 30 years later or whatever it's been, I find this out now, you know? So it was I, lo like, I love that. Great. I love nuggets. Those yeah, the best so that was fun. But then when I did um, my first record, I was 15 and it was uh, having a bad day. And my dad yeah. produced that one. And it was done in the, the same studio in the Utility Muffin Research Even, Kitchen. Yeah. And so that was like, I went from upstairs to downstairs and now I'm in the studio and I'm making this record. And, and uh, uh, I used to get to see how everything was all set up and I was always interested in it, but I wasn't doing the practical stuff of maneuvering microphones and, and things. And, and over a period of time, as I was making more projects, I would pay more and more attention and then... I started to have like a little uh, space where I could work from on my own. And it wasn't until I was doing um, uh, the stuff from the Z records uh, that I, where I had the band with my brother that I started shampoo, head and, uh, shampoo horn and uh, horn. pets yep. um, that I got to start, uh, you know, finding out some of the other production things and, once I learned more from that, it became records like uh, Automatic and Go With What You Know, where I was doing everything on all of it, you know, putting the mics up and mixing everything, you know. So that, those were the first two that I did. So confessions was yeah. Oh, Confessions was one that uh, Bob St. John, who did the, um, the early uh, Extreme records. Uh, so the band Extreme with Nuno Betancourt, uh, Nuno co-produced the, the Confessions record with me. And that was after uh, the My Guitar Wants to Kill Your Mama record, which that one was done by Bo Hill, who was a big, huge producer at the time who produced yeah. Rat and, and all this, this kind of stuff. Uh, but it wasn't until later on that I got into doing everything all myself. And um, so now these days, when, I, when I'm going to start doing new music, which in the coming months, I'll be doing some uh, new tracking and, and new album coming stuff. Well, hopefully I'll get to do something, yeah. But uh, I, I've got a lot of new things that I'm gonna be working on, but I'm gonna do it all myself. Uh, I might have some great uh, opportunities to do some collaborations with different artists to make some different music. I've been talking to some different people, but um, uh, you know, you never know. I might have surprising things, like I might do something with Billy Corgan from Smashing Pumpkins or you know, different kinds of projects that could just come up from uh, random conversations that I've had with people. And now people have time off. So it's like, hey, 
want to just do like a pen pal track? Let's just make something, you know, why not? That's pretty awesome. I think, cause, well, and the other thing is, I mean, you have so many other projects. I know you, you have a guitar project that you've been working on yep. forever, which I just heard like, I don't know, not too long ago that you've been doing this. It's like, not, not, not secretive, but because it just, yeah. you didn't have it out there. Mm -hmm. Can you explain that a little bit to people just in a nutshell? Sure. It's, it's fantastically it's, awesome. It's so crazy because I, uh, I started it back in, I think, around 1990, maybe something like that. And it, the fourth thought is crazy. So the, the, the goal <laughs> of it was I wanted to make something that I described it as an audio movie. So I, I wanted to make something that changed it. it. The music would change and then the audio environment would change and it would be morphing and it would be like if you were turning a radio dial and you just tuned in different songs you would be yeah. hearing something just totally different you know every style of music but the whole thing is it's all guitar bass and drums so there's there's you it, it hearing guitars do things that you wouldn't hear them do otherwise so like i'll make the guitars sound like bagpipes or you know like a, a shakuhachi flute or you know but it's all done on guitar and uh, but then you have all these other guest guitar players who kind of just fall out of the speakers, you know, here, like a track will just suddenly change and oh, now suddenly it's Brian May from Queen, or oh, it's Angus and Malcolm Young from ACDC, Ridiculous. or it's Eddie Van Halen, or it's Eric Did you get Johnson. any for it? Did yeah, you get any for it? Oh, yeah, there's, there's two, two solos and one of them. Would have been a sin if you didn't get him. After all, yeah, every, well, yeah, yeah, he's the pinnacle of what got you going. Yeah, yeah for sure. But the, the coolest thing was, I got to work with him at 5150 and it was like a total role reversal because the first thing that he did with me when I was 12 was, you know, he was teaching me how to do punch-ins in the studio, mm -hmm. like got to play along and then he'd press play and record and record at the right time. So all these years later, I'm saying, okay, on this solo, I need you to play all these. We made like a greatest hits guitar lick solo, which was, it was just a funny thing to say, okay, I want you to play this lick from Mean Streets, this one from Push Comes to Shove, this oh. one from On Fire. And we put it all in one solo over this thing. And, and uh, uh, he was like, I don't remember how that one goes. And then I would show him the lick. He's like, why don't you just fucking play it? Because you sound just like me anyway. But, uh, so, and so, but the funny part was I would show him things that he didn't remember, but then he would play the whole thing. And if we had to do a punch in, I was now punching him in. So it was like this total like you know role reversal thing and i was having to show him some some things uh, of his own music i was like no no it goes like this you know so that's hilarious you get you the milk and cookies thing too do you guys do milk and cookies out there yeah i, I should have i should have asked him if he needed milk and cookies at that point <laughs> but it was you know that was such a great experience but i also had another similar thing like that with with ed where he came to a show of mine at uh i was opening for jeff beck at uh, this venue in Los Angeles called the Nokia Center. Mm -hmm. And Edward came down for the sound check and he stuck around for the show. And um, while we were playing at sound check, we were working on this really hard song, which is called St. Alfonso's Pancake Breakfast. Yeah. And it has a really, really hard part that I learned to play on guitar. It was never meant to be played on guitar. It was mm -hmm. for marimba to begin with. Anyway, backstage, he was like, what the hell was that thing? Like, what were you playing there? You know, and uh, I tried to show it to him. He's like, I could never play that. And of course, technically, I think he could. It would just take him a while to. But the the whole point was like, here is, you know, Edward Van Halen at my show and saying, yeah. hey, how are you doing that? I could never do that. It's total role reversal compared to like me being a kid 
going to his shows and be like, how are you doing that? And he's like, oh, it's like this or, you know, so I just, it was such a great thing to be able to have that experience. I bet you he loved it just as much though, as much as I, you hear how big his heart is. I mean, the outpouring of right now, all the stuff, just, I don't think it's, uh, I hate the word cash grab. I think it's healing because so many people are so influenced, like the best song, the happiest part of your life, music touches you and so many first look, it feels like it's part of you. That album, you know, yeah. You know, he's a warning. He's, I can listen to every certain album and tell you what was I was doing at that moment. What I was eating is it's 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 personal. So when somebody's done so much out there, like like Edward had, you know, like once again I can say my first I got a record player and cassette player built into it back, you know, early eighties. First first cassette I bought was uh, two. I got Police and I got Diver Down. Diver Down was my first Van Halen album. You know, they, I wore out. I mean, and from there I just obsessed. The first band was just everything Van Halen. That's the whole life was just yeah. Van Halen like like a lot of people i'm sure but i mean you it's know that awful. feeling because because you could listen back to that record and it will take you back to that that time frame and like that's what made you have like a certain idea of like okay this is what rock music is supposed to be it's oh, he is rock. he is the gateway drug that guitar playing of him was my music gateway drug that was it you know i liked I music it. before but when i heard yeah. the guitar i just yeah. left the planet you I know, get it. I mean, his I, tone. for me, the same thing, you know, his smile, his smile too. And the smile, having so much fun, the little smirk yeah. he had, it, it, it was, it was part of it. It wasn't like angry or nothing. It was just his smile and just everything was different and beautiful, but crazy and heavy. It's a fair warning. It was heavy. I mean, yeah. Ridiculous sounds. I didn't even know how the songs at the time at that, my age, like that's a guitar. Like can he plays some stuff. I'm like, where does that sound? Where is that from? You know, it's totally crazy. And I, I learn stuff all the time. Like just, just yesterday I found out, there was an interview uh, interview clip of Ed. Somebody was asking him about uh, Fair Warning. Uh, and he says, yeah, you know, I wrote most of the songs on piano. I wrote Unchained, Hear About It Later. I'm like, you wrote that on piano? Because here, here we are, like Unchained is one of the greatest guitar riffs of all time. Yeah. And he wrote it on piano. The melody and the minute heavy. It's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, I never knew that. But, you know, so that, that I kind love of that. I love is that. Really cool. So it's funny. So as much as he played the piano, I always felt like there was pushback when he started doing keyboards. I didn't mind him doing it because I felt, I think an artist should do whatever they want, but album yeah. changes and you don't like it. It's an artist. No one tells you your job what to do. It's yeah. part of what they do. So I always liked that. So the fact that he was playing piano back then, I mean, he's always, always been doing it anyhow. So that is just But it's amazing that such a, a powerful guitar riff came to him on the piano first, because it sounds like, and when you play it on guitar, it's a very guitaristic thing. I don't play piano, so I don't know how it sets up on the piano, but the riff on Unchained, mm -hmm. it seems like that definitely would have been like, oh, obviously written on the guitar, but apparently not. Unless he was thinking, yeah, guitar and piano at the same time. His brain, he was a genius at that. So, I mean, that was just how it is. Uh, well, so, yeah, I think all the stuff, like, I think, I think your podcast is going to, you know, it's part of a healing process for people. I think to wrap your mind around the age of someone that dies. So, I mean, I know just like you and your father, you, you know, same thing. It, it, to wrap your mind, it's taken years. I mean, you know, and then you got this thing with, with Ed and, and, and his and his music. I, I think it's great. I think it's such a, yeah. I can't say enough about hearing the stories you hear. Someone's like, a guitar center. He used to come every now and then. He didn't know me forever. He'd actually talk to me and like, you know, remember things from me. Like, I was just a guy making part-time money at a guitar center. And Ed would come in every now and then and talk to me. Like, great, you know? Yeah, there's all kinds of stories that people have. And, you know, he... As a musician, he was unparalleled for, for the style of music that he did. Okay. 
but as a person, he was very generous and, and he lived in the moment like nobody I've ever seen. Like if he wanted to do something, if something was interesting or exciting, he said, like, let's do it right now, you know? And, and so that was so cool. Cause as a kid, I saw that and I thought, well, that's how you're supposed to do it. If you, yep. if something is cool and you want to do it, don't wait, just go for it. Like musically, like an idea, like set it up, do it. Let's make it happen. Those are some and, great role models. You know? Yeah, it was it was definitely cool. And my dad was the same way. He worked really fast in the studio. And and if he had a really good idea, he would just make it happen. And I think that's something that uh, people have in common. If you're really creative and you have a real vision and you can you can see it in your mind's eye and you know how to make it happen, you don't need to wait. You just go, let's do it right now. Okay, let's just do it like this. And that's the stuff that puts a smile on your face when you see that creative thing that leads you to something. I saw it so many times in the studio with my dad making stuff up that he thought was so hilarious or was just such a cool sound or whatever. He would just get into the zone on something and just make it happen. And you, when you think about that, it's like, okay, here's something that's happening in his head and he can see it and he can hear it. And then he's able to translate that take it out and do something that then other people can hear what's specifically in his head. He knew what it was going to be. And then he said, here, this is what it is. And to me, it's so fascinating that, that anybody could operate that way. Well, the, the, the speed of creativity. Well, the fact that he didn't like, wasn't like raised the super musically. It wasn't like he was raised to be a child prodigy. I mean, he's a brand new composer, but obviously early in his career, he wasn't like super musician. He was like doing right greeting cards and drawing because he has so much other creativity the music thing was not a huge thing. Like he was not, you know, born prodigy, just, you know what I mean? Off yeah. in the corner with a piano, a little tiny piano or something. But no, I mean, even just, it feels like it was just out of the blue, also you became like a musician and then a genius. <laughs> I mean, I think it was just, you know, following whatever was interesting to him and nobody else in his family had the similar interests. So he just went down the path that, that kept him excited. I mean, that's, that's just insane. Um, so one thing they noticed in the production, I went and then go to your album. You went from, so you go, go with it now. And then around that time you took a break. I mean, I know there's like the Z stuff, but you did a lot of Zappa play Zappa. At that time, I know you said, you actually kind of changed how you thought about music, like playing and stuff. Cause you got to kind of like retrain yourself doing your dance yeah. stuff. So maybe nine years, I don't know how long between now, before your next solo album came out. For, it came to the 2015 one, the, uh, the, uh, yeah. Cause, yeah. um, um Go with what you know. I think was two thousand five or two thousand six when that came out. So there was, you know, good years. Right, and I've heard all of them. I have them, you know. But but all your albums have like a little funny twist to it, and you know, a similarity, you know. But then Via came out, a lot more eclectic. I think a little more singing. I, I, it's really yeah. just it's a fun album, and and, and thanks. If I could ask you about each song, just like a little snippet or something sure. about it, because it comes up. Cause I listen to it a lot. And I'm like, oh, what do you think this idea from? So, so funky 15 was just a, a jam or something. So the main riff that rhythm, it's almost like a Morse code kind of thing. And it, it yeah. has a thing where uh, it's in 15. So as it cycles through the actual pulse, if you tried to tap your foot in four, four, the, the, it cycles through a few times before it comes back to a proper downbeat. <laughs> and so the, the goal was to try to make this thing have um, little 
elements of uh, the thematic melody mm -hmm. happen on either side of this little moving phrase. And uh, so it, it has a lot of features to it that end up sounding to me very cinematic, like a movie score. Uh, and I wanted to utilize instrumentation I'd never worked with. So I had a couple of string players in there. And, um, you know, this record was a, a, a full band, but using horns and keyboards and was it your same touring band was like shield all them were they was yeah band? Then the string players were were hired people right. uh, from la but um so the goal was to write with instruments in mind before i was always interested in just making the guitar do all the other stuff you know like mm -hmm. making guitar sound like a keyboard or some other thing and um but this was okay i want these instruments to be in their own space and have a keyboard part or have a horn part. And so that was the first time that I was able to make a record with that kind of instrumentation. And a lot of the stuff that I learned from learning my dad's music and playing on stage and learning how those arrangements work mm -hmm. made it easier for me to want to think about making music that way. Um, but it also then started to open up all these other avenues to write in different ways. And so Funky 15 really is, it's, it's guitaristic, but it also is orchestral, you know? So I think that's one of maybe the thematically, one of the most dense pieces that I've ever done. And I like, I like how I, it came out. I like out. it too. I don't, I do too. I don't think, cause you really can't place it against anyone. I hate to compare music. I mean, but even like musicians, like maybe, Steve I maybe would have a composition as eclectic as a different breakdown, but it doesn't sound like Steve I just it's just yeah. it is what it is it's, it's, I, I couldn't place it that's why thank you for sharing that <laughs> yeah I mean I also wanted it to kind of have a, a like a, a funky feel like a like a funk a 70s funk kind yeah, of with it as well so that, that's why it has like a really dry drum sound and stuff um but I don't know. I mean, I could picture that in a car chase in like the born identity or something. You know what I mean? It's like it's a it, fun song to drive to going to work. Yeah. It's a, it's a got a, It's got some cool things going on. So, so then uh rat race. Yep. Dragon master. That was the one that you combined with your dad. You get to do a little fun thing. Mm -hmm. You started with him. Um, what I want to know, Malkovich. Okay. Yeah. That, Mal is, that is so fun. That is so fun. Give me a little, little, little details on that. Does, did John Malkovich, what does he feel about that? Is he, I mean, well, here's the funniest part. So the John Malkovich tune, um, there was a guy, and I'm spacing on his name right now, but who had contacted me and said, hey, got this project that's happening, and John Malkovich is doing an art installation, and he wants to have some music that goes with this thing too. And what he wants to do is have different artists um, – make some music out of this one thing. He's going to provide the exact same vocal track to all these different artists and let them have their interpretation of what it should be. So That's interesting. He, he recited um, the allegory of the cave, uh, which, uh, you know, as an actor, he's bringing this storytelling uh, thing to life. And uh, so this is, Plato's allegory of the cave. And if you read it and you, and you think about it, you're like, oh, this is on so many levels, it's, it's deep and provocative, right. and crazy and weird. 
but what I wanted to do when when I heard it, uh, the absurdity of it was preposterous. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, was like okay, so he's telling the story, and th this thing, I you know, I don't know when it was written. I don't you know, right. but it's this is an old story, right? You know, like yeah, a thousand years old. I don't know what it is, right? So, uh, but um, anyway, he's he's reciting this thing, and I'm thinking most people aren't going to know that it's even Plato's allegory of the cave. They're just right. going to think it's just some weird stuff he's talking about. So I, I thought, why don't I just make the chorus be, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and so I made the verses <laughs> have these, you know, like the space for the, the what he's saying to just kind of like feel like it's swimming in this weird atmosphere. And then the chorus comes in and it's just saying his name, Malkovich, Malkovich, Malkovich. And then, you know, it's the, what the fuck are you talking about? Uh, funny song. It's yeah, so but, good. but here's the best part. I was sent the audio from John Malkovich. I made the song. I sent it in because he had a version where it came out on his own album. And then I had a version where it came out on mine. Same song, different mix, right? But I've never to this day spoken to John Malkovich. I've never met him. I don't know really? heard the song. I don't know anything. So it was just this thing where it was sent to me and I made this thing and I have no idea if he likes it or if he's heard it or. Day at a party. He'll be like, Dweezil. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're not going to know until he talks to you because he's the way he is. You just won't know until that exact minute. He goes, it was good. Or yeah, what? Yeah. what the fuck? But some of the other people that are on it, it's a really eclectic group like Yoko Ono and Sean Lennon. They did a, a song and then. And it's the same, you know, allegory of the cave yeah. lyrics. Uh, and then um, Dolores O'Riordan from the Cranberries yeah. did something. Voice, yeah. I don't know who else, but so it's a weird combo of people. But mine was just part of that collective. You don't even know. I was totally wondering what his reaction was to that. Like, that, that, so that's like the, just a mystery. That is awesome. Yeah, me too. I'd love to know. But that's so funny. Yeah, That's but awesome. the the, um, the art installation I think is it travels around to different places Still? and and what it is is he reenacts famous photographs. So he'll dress up or have um, you know makeup and stuff, and he'll be the subject of world famous uh, paintings or photographs. And then they'll just do a, a, a picture. It's not done with um, Photoshop. It's all like composed specific photos that capture that photo in that moment so it it's another world that yeah. is incredible it's weird so that's, that is insane um a couple of the good songs i think but the um billionaire's son probably the last yeah. song i want to know about where we got that from it was just a weird song i wrote that song um back in probably around 1998 a little proverb sort of it's kind of like a little uh well it's like whimsical, this, whimsical. <laughs> well, i what i wanted to do again it's kind of like a little mini um audio movie too because it it takes you through like the roaring 20s or something mm -hmm. you know it has oh yeah it, it paints it paints a story yeah and and then it, you know the the storyline is that it's like this kid spends all of his father's money overnight and then his mom is pissed and she kills him. Or did she? You know, that's, it's like has the, the, and you know, the twist at the end. You don't know what really happened. But the belly. Yeah, so but good. the idea is 
you know, if if somehow your child could spend all your money overnight, you know, what would you do? You know, they try, they try. That's that is awesome. That's a good song. Um, yeah, it's good to hear that. Um, so we're, we're going to wrap up. I, I want to end though on so just touch on it briefly. You're doing a podcast now, running with a dweezel. Breaking up into sections, so you have a couple episodes. You're doing it. How many? How many episodes? I know it's like a, your pricing and. So what it is is, um, it's an all-encompassing thing that goes through Van Halen's musical catalog. And so we take every record and we break it down song by song. And I talk with different guitar players. So uh, Steve Vai, um, Blue Saracino, Paul Gilbert, Nuno Betancourt, Billy Corgan, Joe Satriani. Uh, there's a huge list of, of people. There's 30 episodes. Actually, it's going to end up being more than 30 episodes, but um, there's over 50 hours of content. Uh, and so in this whole thing, it's broken down into the early years. Then there's the, the middle years, which is the Sammy Hagar era and mm -hmm. Gary Sharon era. And then, um, so we have three packages you can buy the early years or you can buy the middle period or you can buy the 5150 package which gives you every episode and that one includes a video episode that we haven't done yet where it will be um, me in the studio with some friends and we're going to take apart the, the the sound of van halen we're going to say okay how can you make that sound with how many different ways can you achieve that sound and with what gear not oh. to say that you have to do it only with what ed used we're looking for can you do it with anything else oh, can you really make that sound with other with other amps or other guitars and so it's going to be like a real kind of uh rabbit hole where we do that and then there's uh for people that have like an axe or a helix or mm -hmm. a kemper which are digital processing gear we're going to make presets that they can load into their thing so Easy. those come with the 5150 package uh, so you will, you'll be able to have these presets to go, oh, here's my eruption sound or here's my whatever. I don't have that, but I'm going to get the package because I'm a fan of all the errors. I'd be curious because like I said, I love OC. I mean, I love with Dave. I, I just love, it, it, we carry too. I mean, you know what I'm saying? But really, yeah, it's all encompassing for me. I'm not, I'm Van Halen from A, a to Z. Yeah. It'd be interesting because there's a lot of purists out there to see like, is it the Dave year it's going to go? Because it was a time period. Some people like music when they were younger and they locked to it. Right. When people grow with it. I, I tend to grow with it. I still listen to music. I'm always listening, looking, you know what I mean? So I listen to an album, not a song. But it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Like if it's the Dave years because it's that, you know, cradle rock stuff or, you know what I mean? Well, there's definitely people that um, that like the early years better than the later years. But I'm with you where if if you're an artist, you want to be able to have the freedom to explore what you want to do. So as Ed started to change his guitar sound, you know, there's always going to be people that say, Oh, I like the earlier sound better. But for him, that's just something he did. He's like, Oh yeah, it sounded good, but I'm doing this now. Well, I you think know? his stuff is it, towards the end was just as good as, I think it was always just, just different. I mean, it's, it's I love the, the newer stuff that he was doing. Well, yeah, newer, but you know what I'm saying? Well, it gave him a chance to always, you know, keep looking for a different sound, different texture. And, uh, and I like that with any artist to be able to hear their their progression. So for me, I'm interested in all of it. Some people, like you said, might be only interested in the early years. That's why we made an early years package. Right. So, I mean, you hear a lot of that talk on the internet now, but 
yeah. actually see those, like if that people are really gonna be like, that's it. That's really where it's gonna go. They actually put the money out. It's supposed to saying it. I'd yeah. love to see how, how it really plays out when actually people have to pay for it. Like how dedicated those guys are that are purists. Well, you know, what's funny is I, the majority of the people that seem to be interested in the podcast want to hear all the episodes. So they, right. they get the, the thing because they also want to, there a lot of them are, are predictably guitar players and they want to be able to get those presets for like the fractal or, or, and they want to see like that, that episode of creating the, recreating the, the Van Halen Brown sound because you're not going to be able to see it on YouTube and other places. It's only going to be on my website. Good. That's awesome. I'm going to be getting that. It's this month actually, I'm probably getting it now. And now um, I can't, I have to, I'm going to have to neglect my family for 50 hours now. So, so I mean, that's, that's the thing is like, uh, you know, if you watch a show, like let's say Game of Thrones or something like that, you know, it's several seasons, mm -hmm. but if you didn't watch it from the beginning and you were somebody that bought it right now and you binge watched that mm -hmm. uh, and watched every single season and you watched multiple episodes yeah. all day long uh, in COVID, you know, you could probably get through that, uh, that series a couple of weeks. Yeah. Right. If you were, like, I could do it quicker. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, so, but this, when the Van Halen series is, is completed, because it's going to take like six more months to, to create all this stuff. And because we put them out every Thursday, yep. um, it's going to take a lot more time to finish all these things. But um, at the end of that, when it's all there and available for somebody to binge listen, I mean, like imagine the, the person that is going to just sit down and like listen to every single thing like because some of these episodes are more than 90 minutes long you know i'm not having to do it because i'm totally stoked to do it I actually wait i'm like i go four episodes out before so i'm just gonna want to eat them up i'm gonna want to binge through everything now you spoil well, nowadays the the two that i just did the ones with blue saraceno those were about the women and children first record and we found a bunch of things on there that um were really surprised things like in really listening to it, I, I discovered some things about it that I always loved, but I, we found this one sound that happens in Take Your Whiskey Home, and it's really quick. It just sounds like, you know, it almost sounds like somebody cracking their knuckles, but it's only in the right-hand side speaker, and it's, it only happens in the song once, and it's like, why is that part in there, you know? And I, I, we, I listened to it so many times, and I don't know... There's a specific reason that's in there, I'm guessing, but it's just funny to like draw attention to it and say, "What is this? Why is this here?" Are you listening like off a masters or something? Like, what do you? To no, no. It's a, if you put on headphones, you can hear it. Okay. And uh, and at, at first, I I never would have paid attention to it, but when because I was uh, doing the editing of the episode and I was listening to that song, I kept saying, "Wait a minute, there's this sound in here. This is so." I thought maybe it was like from some of uh, like an open mic or something from recordings from the the voiceover stuff. Like was, but but when I took all that out and I just listened to only the actual track from the record, it was there. It was on the recording. So uh, it's this really you know special thing. And I actually brought Blues Saraceno back in to specifically talk about that part because. We had already finished our conversation, but I said, hey, I found this thing. You got to come back. And so we, we found that thing and talked about it.
That's hilarious. Are you gonna, is Don Landy or Ted Templeman gonna be involved in this at all? Well, I would love it. I don't know, you know, uh, so I'm working on that. Uh, but one of the- uh, I mean, Ted talks about him in his book. Did you read his book? I just got it. I haven't read it, but I did read Van Halen Rising, which was yeah. the Greg Renoff book. And I'm gonna talk to Greg soon for the podcast. And then there's the, the, his man, the manager also had a book too. That was really- I, I read that one. The, that one uh, kind of threw me off. I was not expecting some of that stuff. I was like, oh, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, some of it was a little bit uh, like depressing. A little creepy, and like I'm like, ah, that could have been private. It kind of feels. I actually felt like it was vulnerable. Like I don't really need to hear that. You know, it's. I'm not into the dirt. I'm well, into the creative I mean, process. It, it does give you a, a, a unique perspective of you know the challenges that any rock band in that situation might be going through. I mean, it was a different time, a different generation. But there's certain things about it that are fun to check out. And then there's other things that make you feel like, oh. I felt, you know, I think it was the, the vulnerability between him and being away and his relationship with his brother at times. I felt like I was peeking into something I shouldn't be seeing. The other stuff is fine because you're a rock star, you're doing stuff, you own your behavior. Yeah. But those little snapshots of <laughs> those two together, I was like, oh. I think one of the things that comes out of that, though, is that you end up having such a deep uh, respect for Michael Anthony. And all the stuff that he did, you know, and and uh, and his accomplishments and his um, and the the contribution that he actually made. To yeah, the band. I, I agree. I mean, from the very beginning, he's I always thought he stood out. Just not just his voice, but his bass playing, his solidarity, yeah. his performance, the way to blend in. It was a whole. Yeah. It was a whole thing, you know. So that was always a weird thing. I, I always wish that they reconciled that. You know, they're talking at the end. That would have been really nice. That would have been some nice closure to that. Michael being back, but that would have been a, a thing. It would have been it would have been cool, but you know, I mean, just to see me, it wasn't about Wolf. I mean, I, I, Wolf was a good yeah. player. It sounds like his dad, so I get why dad wanted to play with him. I get that too. I like my yeah. kids play. If I was good enough, I'd play with my kids and instruments. You know what I'm saying? I get yeah. that part. So it's not about that. I just would have liked to see them because they started something together, right? Just to have a relationship. Just hearing that Sammy had a relationship at the end with Eddie just made me feel better. I don't know why. I, I don't know either yeah. from personally. I just felt yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. No, I think you know. It, that's one of those things is that if you're a real fan of, of somebody, this stuff becomes personal in, in some ways and you, you want, you want it to be uh, positive and uplifting because when you first got into it, that's what it was. You know, it wasn't, you didn't get into it because there was drama or, you know, some Ted's other thing. book is like that. Ted's book is less drama. You know what I mean? Yeah. A lot more studio stuff. And the other shift was, I think the only thing I'm going to take a story from you is how the relationship kind of shifted with him and Don Landy. Got closer towards the end, and that yeah. was making me think of a question. That's why I'm bringing this up. The last, the last question for you is around that time. I'd like to figure out the timeline when you read it. If it's similar to the time, because they started work, doing a lot more work together with less, right. you know, Ted, because that was Don was his right hand man, and Ed and him were like together, together, together. Around the time of your recording, when they came yeah. into that, I'm wondering if that was kind of like around that same time period when they started to do more. Ed's learning. Hey, why don't want to? This is a good product. You know what I'm saying? What a great opportunity to teach and learn and grow. You know what I mean? It, it could have somehow uh, that could have been something that helped it because I don't think fifty one fifty was built yet. Mm -hmm. uh, and so no, now when they started getting first together, I mean Don was brought in and Ted was kind of well, like I think his story is more in the outs at that point. But, but Don was obviously involved, so that feels like that's the timeline. You'll you'll know you're really you're like oh yeah I know. Yeah, no, I'm going to check it out. I, I'm I'm excited to check it out. Yeah, it's it's a you got to sit down. You want to read the whole thing in a day. It's not one of those things because just because it talks about that and Linda Ronstadt and all different players. I can't think of the other, you know, it's a good, it's a good overlap book. Yeah. But, 
I want to, I want to thank you, man. This has been a great talk. I've been, yeah, no problem. Thank you. You were the inspiration for the, honestly, for the show, talking about artists and the real stuff, the costs, the, the paying, the reality, you know, and what it takes to become an artist and, and, and do it. And, and then you carried it, you know, your whole life. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a challenge, but you know, some people, like my dad told me, uh, the, the music industry is a terrible industry. You know, no one would ever really want to get into it if they really looked at what it, what's involved in doing it. And the people that make music because they really love music, they would probably do it regardless of if they made money anyway. And I think that's why it's still, people are still doing it because <laughs> making money or it's, you can't help it. What else can they do? They're just driven to it like an artist. You can't. Yeah, you're kind of just like, if you're one of those people, you're wired to to want to do it but but if you are that way you want to do it in a way that like you at the end of the day you hope that somebody will connect with it on some level and not just because oh that's impressive you you actually want them to feel something you know you want to and i think the more that artists can be in tune with that uh earlier in their career and then actually build that relationship with the fan right away is is important like for me it took a long time to find my own voice in what I do. Um, but some artists find it very early in their career. Like Eddie Van Halen found it very early in his career. He wrote most of the songs that would be on all of his records when he was in his early 20s. Um, but the point is that, you know, if you're, if you're in a situation where you're constantly gonna be having to make compromises and do things that aren't artistically what you want to do it's going to be depressing it's going to be like pushing a rock up a hill and my dad felt that way about everything all the time and there was a point where he said when he was ill he said you know i really want to go out to the desert and i want to set all of my tapes on fire you know because he was like who cares about any of this stuff you know he, he did it because he liked it Mm-hmm. And if anybody else liked it, uh, then then that would be a bonus, you know. But the frustration of of pushing that rock up the hill that whole time, you know, it takes a toll, really. Uh, so artists who want to make music and they want to connect with people, if they can do it directly, it's really just the most beneficial way. That is fantastic. Good words. And I thank you for your time, man. Thank you. Okay. <laughs>